0: 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 if you turn there with me as we will be picking up our series on 2 Thessalonians and uh, let me also say that we're going to do a little review today and then we're going to launch out into the rest of the passage that I wanted to cover some of it last time but we were not able to. The coming man of sin, the coming man of sin, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And he says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, referring to the rapture, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, so Paul clearly taught them, because they were shaken by what they were hearing, People were saying, well, this is what Paul was teaching. Paul's writing him saying, no, 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 I didn't teach that. You're not in the tribulation period. See, they were shaken because they knew that he had taught them a pre-tribulational rapture in his first letter, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 in particular. And so they were shaken up by that because people, I guess, were saying, you're in the tribulation period. And he says, no, no. He says, that's not the way it is. Verse 2, you notice it says the day of Christ this is what ushers in the beginning of the day of the Lord. Okay. There's the day of Christ. There's the day of the Lord. I don't think they're the same. I think the day of Christ is referring to the rapture. The few places that it's shown in scripture, it is referring to the rapture. Whereas the day of the Lord begins right after the rapture. Now they, yeah, they kind of go hand in hand in, in a sense, or one follows the other. But when Christ comes back at the rapture, which is the day of Christ, it allows the day of the Lord to begin. So the two concepts are used together here. By the way, remember that the day of the Lord, who is the Lord? The Lord is Christ himself, right? So those things go together. But keep in mind, keep in mind, the Bible teaches that the rapture of the church, when the church is going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is coming back, but he's not coming back all the way to touch down on earth at the rapture of the church. The second coming to earth at the end of the tribulation period is when Jesus will come all the way back to earth. But the rapture, we're going to meet him in the air. He's going to catch us up out of this place and we're going to meet him in the air. Now, there are no signs for the rapture of the church. There are no signs. In other words, it's a, it's, the Bible teaches it's an imminent event. Even the apostles themselves were looking for the rapture of the church. Jesus taught them to look for the rapture. And so they were looking for the rapture. But we do believe that the, the rapture is a pre-tribulational rapture. So as where there are no signs for the rapture, there are signs for the tribulation period. Whatever, therefore, whatever is a trend for the tribulation is also a trend for the rapture if the rapture, in fact, comes before the tribulation. So keep that in mind. That's important to realize. But signs for the rapture, no. No signs for the rapture, signs for the tribulation. We know that. Now, in verse 3, it says, let no man deceive you by any means. See, people were trying to deceive them let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition now I've got several points we want to cover today the first is this you notice the day of the Lord would not come until uh, you will know that the day of the Lord has come because there's going to be a falling away Okay, there's going to be a great falling away. Now the word falling away, there's a word apostasia. We get our word apostasy from it, which means a departure, a departure from the truth. But this is seen as an event. It's not just normal defection. Okay, there are people falling away all the time from the faith. This is a major defection. It's an it's an event. It's an event. I'm convinced that what is going to cause this great falling away from the truth is the fact that the rapture is going to take place. And when the rapture takes place, the church is taken out of the world. The church is how the world gets the truth of God, okay? Gets the truth of God proclaimed and preached and taught and so forth. This local church, in other words, folks, when the rapture takes place, this local church will cease to exist. We will not anymore every single Day and particularly on Sundays and Wednesdays, be proclaiming the gospel to the world. Now, our media ministry will live on unless the powers that be, quote unquote, of the worldly people decides to take all Christian programming off the internet. But at least for a while, it will be there. At least for a while, it will be there. And so our ministry will continue on. By the way, that is why we have a... One of the reasons we have a media ministry is to keep it out there. Now, let me develop this as we go through. I am convinced that the rapture is the reason the apostasy is so major. When we are taken out of the world, it will create a vacuum for truth, and it will open the floodgates of apostasy in the world. We are leading up to that in the days in which we live. We are seeing more and more apostasy. We are seeing more and more people going away from the word of God, okay? We are seeing a lot of confusion, even among believers, as far as what is truth, what isn't truth. A lot of people who have an element of truth are gaining prominence, in quote-unquote Christendom today, and yet when it comes to the gospel, the plan of salvation, they're preaching a false gospel that really doesn't save. It gets people religious. It sells books. It even sells Bibles. But can I tell you this? There's a lot of Bibles that aren't even telling the truth nowadays and that are leading people astray in important passages. Important passages. We won't get into that this morning. That's another topic for another time. So there's going to be a great apostasia. There's going to be a great defection from the truth. Secondly, the man of sin will be revealed. This is a man we call the Antichrist. We don't know who he is. There's no good reason to speculate who he is. Usually people who speculate, they're saying it's so-and-so. You know, it's, uh, let's say somebody will say, well, it's, it's this this leader. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know, there's a formula. As soon as you hear that, Run. <laughs> Don't walk, run to the nearest exit. There's a formula, or really, oh, there's a formula. What's the formula? Well, you know, here's the formula. Every digit of his name has a number, and if you take those, and then you you count them up, and then you divide them by three, because three is this, and then you multiply it by this many, and then you look at how many years have gone by, and you do this, and you do that, and you come up with this, and there you go, look what it says. You know? Whatever. Barack Obama or whatever, you know? <laughs> Let me say, I don't believe he's the Antichrist, but I'll tell you this, when he was running for president and the frenzy that the world made over him was chilling because that will probably be similar to the way it will be for the Antichrist, okay? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying former President Obama was the Antichrist or is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. So please notice, he will not be revealed until after the rapture. Now we could, it's, it's possible that we could have a hunch about this one or that one or all that. But listen, don't make it an issue. Don't make it an issue. You can have your hunch. You can talk about it over dinner if you want. But it's honestly, in a sense, it's a waste of time. Because it says he won't be revealed until after the rapture. So who is he? Well, look, let's jump ahead just a little bit. Look at some of his character or characteristics in verse 9. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Signs, miracles, miracles. See, people think, well, he's just a politician. No, he's more than a politician. He has supernatural power. He is indwelled by the devil himself. His power comes from Satan himself. He has the ability to perform signs and wonders or miracles. He is a great deceiver. Now you know what a deceiver does? A deceiver tricks people. So he seems legit. He seems like somebody you would want. He seems like somebody that you would want to support, that's got answers, that's got confidence, that that seems like he knows what he's doing. He seems like he'll he'll have talk that that will rally people around what he has to say. Yet he's deceiving. He has a plan. He has many other characteristics as well. He will come out of Europe. I think scriptures are clear about that. He will be, as I've already mentioned, a smooth politician who can persuade others to embrace his agenda. He will be sly. He will be sly. Let's go back. Verse 4. Notice what about this guy? Him, it said in verse three, the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God or basically presenting himself that way, that he is God. So, number three, he opposes God and he exalts himself above God. And by the way, the very scriptures here, he opposes, okay? He puts himself in place of and then exalts himself. He says that he is God. That is anti, Antichrist means either somebody who replaces or somebody who's against. So, he opposes himself against God. And he represents himself as the replacement, anti-Christ. It's a perfect fit. It's a perfect fit. So you notice, though, in verse uh, verse 4, so as he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He opposes God and exalts himself above God. All right? Uh, Hold your place and look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. In uh, preparing, a lot of you, I've mentioned in church before that at the end of May, uh, Sue and I will be going to Trinidad and I'm going to be teaching at the uh, Solid Rock Theological Seminary Extension there in the evenings for five days, uh, four and a half uh, days mainly. And uh, they want me to teach the entire book of Revelation in about 13 hours. So I've been going through for several weeks now, my notes which was 52 weeks of notes here in church. Hacking, 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 hacking back. That's tough to do, especially with all the time invested in studying and and getting things. But what that's done, it's been a blessing for me because I've been through the book of Revelation now in the last several weeks about five times. And I'm getting more and more familiar with everything and just the, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe by the time I'm, ready to go. I won't even need my notes. Uh, I don't know, because it's, it's awful familiar. But this is incredible how all this fits together. Revelation thirteen five, talking about the Antichrist. It says this, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Do you see that? Blasphemies. Now that's against God. That's against God. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, that's the God of the Bible, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He will be the dictator of the world. And you might look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. If all the saints are in heaven, who are these saints he's fighting? These are the people who are getting saved from the time the rapture takes place. In other words, after the rapture, through the tribulation period, he will be battling these new believers who are standing on the truth and opposing him. He's going to be battling them. There's going to be great martyrdom, the Bible tells us. But I want you to go back to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. There's a very important. Factor that I want you to see here. And you know, people say sometimes, they'll say, well, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, Jesus is coming. People have been saying that for 2,000 years and all that. Why do you believe that? You shouldn't believe that. I mean, obviously it's not true. You've been saying it. church has been saying it for 2,000 years. Obviously it's not true. No, friend, it is true, and the Bible is true because the Bible actually talks about people like you. It says in Peter, in the last days there will be scoffers. Saying, where's the promise of his coming? Hmm? Here's another thing. How do you know we're in the last days? There's a lot of different things. The biggest sign that we are in the last days is that Israel became a nation back in 1948. Once again, after being dispersed for approximately 2,000 years, that is a sign because for the last days to be here, Israel has to be back in the land. And they continue to come back. They continue to come back, okay? Here's the fourth point I want to touch on today is this. You notice in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, the Antichrist sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Number four, the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt sometime before the middle of the seven-year tribulation period. Now remember after the rapture is when the tribulation begins. It is seven years long, seven years long. And for the Antichrist, three and a half years into the tribulation period, for him to go into the temple of God, claim himself to be God and demand to be worshiped as God, there's got to be a temple there for him to do that. You might say, well, I don't see any temple on the temple mount today. Well, Again, if the Antichrist is going to sit there, it's got to be there. But let me say this. Israel has been ready to rebuild the temple for decades. That's not rumor. That is absolute fact. All the pieces are coming together. They have the technology to build the temple quickly. Jewish men are being trained as I speak to be temple priests. They have reformed the Sanhedrin. This is all fact. The furniture and the implements for sacrifice for temple worship are already in existence. We were there about 25 years ago. We saw these things with our own eyes. This is not rumor speculation. And there's more of them since, obviously, since we were there. The harps, there's a temple worship, there's harps, they use certain harps. The harps necessary for the music are being manufactured right now. As a matter of fact, they were being manufactured 25 years ago. They're still being manufactured in Jerusalem at House of Harari. This is a husband and wife team that have this business, and they build these beautiful harps. You can see, if you go on YouTube, you can see interviews with them on there. There's something called the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute has been in existence for several decades now as well. And it's all about temple worship. It's all about what they're planning. Keep in mind, this is not put together by evangelical Christians. These are Jews. You can go, if you want more information, go to templeinstitute.org, templeinstitute.org, and look it up, and they've got a website that's got all the detail you could ever imagine. Now, again, they're not going to be saying on this website, oh, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. Trust Christ as Savior. It's not by works. It's by grace. They're not, these are not saved Jews, okay, as far as I know. But it's very interesting to go there and see these things. Now, you might say, well, okay, well, yeah, so what? So what? We know we're in the last days. That's what. Yes. Friends, you don't want to be here during the tribulation period. It's going to be unprecedented difficulty. God is going to be pouring out His wrath on the planet during this seven-year tribulation period. You don't want to be left, and the only way you can escape it is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed, the Antichrist might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth or restrains will let or restrain until he, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. So number five, the restrainer must be taken out of the way before these things can manifest themselves, before these things can kick into high gear. We see that in verses six and seven. Now again, the word letteth means restrain. Now here's the point. Someone or something is restraining these events from being fulfilled today. Something's holding that back or someone is holding that back. You notice the he here. That person is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit through the church is restraining major iniquity and lawlessness from taking over the planet. I'm telling you folks, when the rapture takes place and the church is taken out, it's like there's a dam holding back water. And when the church is taken out of the world, it's going to break. And the amount of iniquity and darkness and, and evil that's going to cover the planet, it's going to be unprecedented. However, look what it says. Who he who restrains will do it until he is taken out of the way. Now the question comes up, when will he the Holy Spirit be taken out of the way? And that is going to take place when the rapture takes place. Understand this, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is taken out before the tribulation begins what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that we are, again, the rapture takes place before the tribulation begins. When the church is taken out and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then he is taken out as well. Now, understand this. Because the Holy Spirit is God, he'll still be working in the world. It's not like he's no longer around the world. He'll still be here, but not in the same way as the restrainer of evil, like he is today, working through those of us who are believers. The truth is going out. Godly Christians are living the Christian life. We're being salt, we're being light. Salt is a preservative. Light shows people the way. When the church is taken out, there will be no preservative. Everything will go rotten very quickly, so to speak. And the light will have been diminished greatly at that point. And that all takes place when the rapture takes place. Verse eight, after that takes place. Now notice this, after the Holy Spirit is done restraining, verse eight, and then shall the wicked be revealed. Now you notice it says wicked. That is masculine singular. You could say the wicked one. It's referring to a person. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The brightness of his coming is referring to the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Even him, referring to the Antichrist, look at this, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Okay? is going to be unbelievable. I want you to hold your place here and go back to Revelation chapter 13 for a moment. I hope you're getting it. We are on the edge, folks. We're getting close. Listen, there are signs for the tribulation period. Remember, none for the rapture. But if the rapture takes place before the tribulation, we know we're getting closer to the rapture. We know we're getting closer. Because we see things Clearly that are signs and trends and things that are going to be showing up in the tribulation period. That has never happened since the time of Jesus. And we're seeing them happen in the days in which we live. So this is not hype. This is truth. Revelation thirteen two and the beast, referring to the Antichrist, which I saw, was like unto a leopard and his feet... Whereas the feet of a bear and his mouth is the mouth of a lion and the dragon, the devil, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. This man will be indwelt by Satan himself. You know, there are some people that we would just say, well, those, that person is evil. I would agree. But you ain't seen nothing yet. I think he will be an incredible not only human being, and I don't mean it in a good sense, I'm talking about the power that he will have. The power over people that he will have will be incredible. Back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says in verse 10, and we come to uh, verses 10 through 12, we come to verses that are somewhat controversial. They don't need to be. If you look at them in light of the whole of Scripture, they don't need to be. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says this, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, look at that. He will be full of unrighteousness, and yet he will deceive people over to his side. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Our next point is this. Many will believe a lie. Many will believe a lie. You might say, well, okay, what in the world? How could you get the world to believe a lie? What is the lie? Well, I'll give you my opinion on this. I believe that the lie is that the Antichrist is the savior of the world. This goes hand in hand with him walking in the temple, claiming to be God, and demanding to be worshiped as God. Obviously, it's a lie. It's a great, great lie. And yet we know many are going to follow him. The majority of the world is going to follow him. Jesus had something very interesting to say when he was battling, you might say, in the Gospels when he was here the first time and he was battling the unbelieving Jews about who he was. And of course, they denied the fact that he was God in the flesh. You know, he said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You need to believe before Abraham was, I am. Clear claim to deity. You know, people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, you can't read. He claimed to be God, very clearly claimed to be God. Jesus said this in John 5, 24, talking to lost Jewish people. Again, by the way, we love the Jews in our church. I want you to know that. We love the Jewish people. God has chosen them. They are unique people, and he's not through with the Jews either. As a matter of fact, the tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30. Jacob, of course, had his name changed to Israel. John five forty two though, Jesus said this, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. Look at this next phrase. If another shall come in his own name, him you shall receive. I believe Jesus was looking down time, the corridors of time, and he was referring to the Antichrist. You won't receive me, but you'll receive somebody who comes in his own name. And you know what, folks? The Jews will see him at the beginning of the tribulation. They will see him as a Savior. They'll see him as a Messiah because he's going to bring peace to the Middle East, according to Daniel chapter 9. I remember years ago, Dave Hunt said, you walk the streets of Israel today and you talk to many Jewish people. And he'd ask them, how do you know who the Messiah is going to be? And they would say very sincerely, he'll be the one who brings peace to Israel. Well, at the beginning of the tribulation, he will be the one who brings peace, quote unquote, to Israel, but it's only gonna last three and a half years. I think part of the peace he's gonna bring to the region, now this is just speculating, I could be wrong on the timing. I think part of the peace that he's gonna bring to the region will give the Jewish people the license, so to speak, to build their temple at that point. Now, here's the point I want to make on this this point six. Many will believe the lie, okay? Particularly in verse 10, it says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. There are some, particularly fundamental Baptists, who teach that if you, Heard the gospel before the rapture, but you never trusted Christ as your Savior before the rapture, that you cannot be saved once the rapture takes place. In other words, the bus came, asked you to get on, you didn't want to get on at that point, it left, and there are no more buses for you. That kind of an idea, all right? And a lot of people are very passionate about that and very sincere, by the way. I'm talking about good people, good people, right? I disagree with that position. And I disagree on several counts, okay? Let me give those to you. The first is this, and it's very important. Nowhere does it actually say that. It doesn't actually say that, that if you heard the gospel before the rapture and you didn't trust Christ, that you can't be saved after the rapture. No scriptures say that anywhere. You might say, well, people read into it. I get that, but you know what? People read into scripture all the time, right? So nowhere does it actually say that. It is an idea inconsistent with the rest of scripture. According to Revelation, multitudes will be saved during the tribulation period. I want to reference you, we're not going to look there, but Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 17 make it abundantly clear that there are going to be multitudes who end up trusting Christ the Savior. How can we say none of those people are people who heard the gospel before the rapture. The scriptures don't say it. As a matter of fact, I believe this. I believe there's a lot of people who are gonna get saved right after the rapture because they will have been told the gospel, they will have been witnessed to maybe multiple times, didn't believe it, flippantly said stuff like, well, I guess I'll uh, wait to see if it's true or not. Well, number one, that's a dumb position. That's not using your head, okay? Don't go there. Because friends, you don't want to be left. The tribulation period is going to be awful. It's going to be a living nightmare for seven years, literally. Secondly, though, I don't believe it's true because of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. The Bible tells us during the tribulation period, there will be 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They will all be men. They will all be men who are virgins. You might say, why is that? We're not going to get into that, okay, but, but uh, I think it's a matter of focus, I'll say that much. But anyways, that being the case, these men, if they get saved after the rapture, how do they get saved? How do they get the information? You might say, well, it'll be out there, okay? Well, yeah, that's true, the, the information will be out there right after the rapture, but... I think that these people had been witnessed to before the rapture takes place. Because scripture gives us the impression at least that right after the rapture, when the tribulation begins, these 144,000 are there and raised up. Well, they must have been saved sometime. Now, I know there are people who say, well, they got saved during the church age and then when the rapture takes place, God left them here to evangelize. Bummer. Can you imagine? No, friends, it doesn't work that way. The body of Christ, the church, is made up of Jew and Gentile, okay? We're looking for the rapture, not a rupture, the rapture of the church. They're not going to be left. If they're part of the church, they're going at the rapture. It says in 1 Corinthians, we shall all be changed. Paul included himself in that as well. So all believers will be going at the rapture. I think these 144,000 Jewish witnesses, they had to hear the gospel before the rapture. How else do they come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah so quickly after the rapture takes place? Another reason is this. The Antichrist does not become bold with his false claim to deity until the middle of the tribulation period. He does not become bold with his false claim to deity until the middle of the tribulation period. This is what the Bible talks about as being the abomination of desolation referred to in Daniel chapter nine and Matthew chapter 24 in verse 15. Not only that, but another reason why I don't believe that people can't be saved who heard the gospel before the rapture is this. The Bible in the text tells us this, and it tells it to us twice. The reason people perish is because they don't receive the gospel message. It doesn't say you have to receive it before a certain point. The reason they perish is because they haven't received the gospel message. That is consistent with the history of the world. It's always been that way. People, some people have had many opportunities to trust Christ and Savior and haven't, okay? What about if it's true that if you heard the gospel before the rapture and you didn't accept it, then you can't be saved afterwards? If that's true, how many times were you allowed to hear it? Once, and that's it? That's the only opportunity you had? I don't see that in the character of God, and I don't see that in the pages of Scripture. If the Bible is true that God is not willing that any should perish... Would he not hold out the opportunity for salvation as long as people could receive it? And I think he does. Now, I do believe this. Once you receive the mark of the beast, that's a pledge of allegiance and your eternity at that point is sealed. You've chosen at that point and there's no, there's no going back, but that's a topic for another time. So the people perish because they don't receive the gospel message. Look at verse 10. You notice what it said? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They're deceived because they don't believe. It doesn't say they couldn't believe and it doesn't say when they went through this. Not only that, but also look at verse 12. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. It doesn't say they didn't believe the truth before the rapture. It's period. They didn't believe the truth. And that's why... They're damned, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Which brings us to this, and it's our last point today. Do we just cover this to have an in-depth Bible study? No, there's a reason we cover this. God's word and the truth of it continue to go out, and God is continuing sounding an alarm to the world, sounding a warning to the world, and friend, maybe sounding a warning to you. Now is the time to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now is the time. Today is the time. You don't want to be left when the tribulation takes place. By the way, if you want to know what takes place during the tribulation, this week or even this afternoon, go home, read in your Bible, Revelation 6 through Revelation 19. Believe what it says. Don't think it's all symbolic, because it's not. Believe what it says, and that will tell you quickly what's going to be taking place. You don't want to be here. Not only that, but if you go into the tribulation, there's a very good chance you will be deceived by the Antichrist. You will receive his mark and you'll spend forever separated from God in hell because you did not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You put your faith in a false Messiah. Look at Romans chapter six with me. Now is the time to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. I am so glad I'm saved. Regardless of what comes my way, I'm going to heaven. Even if I die as a martyr, let's say the rapture doesn't take place and America comes under persecution and I ended up, maybe you too, we end up dying as martyrs because we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. As soon as we die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, I don't look forward to the process of dying, but I have no problem with dying because I know I have eternal life in Christ. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me show this to you. Let me explain this to you today for you to understand what God has done for you because he loves you, because he wants you to be his child. I'm gonna use an illustration here. Let's pretend that this left hand represents you and me. We're gonna let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong in a whole lifetime. God calls them sins. Here we are, we're all sinners. I think you would agree with that. We all do things wrong. The Bible says God loves us. God hates our sin, but he loves us. Sin separates us from him. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. Heaven's a perfect place. You have to be sinless to get in. No one is. Therefore, if that's the end of the story, no one would ever go there. No one. God says we've sinned against him. And you notice in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. What is the wage? A wage is something you've earned. God says our sin has earned us Death separation from God for all eternity. That's what we deserve. Yeah, religion comes along and says, well, the way you go to heaven is by doing good works. Not one verse in the Bible does it say you go to heaven by being good. Not one verse. As a matter of fact, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. The very fact that it's the gift of God shows that we don't pay for it. We don't earn it. It's something that we simply receive. See, here's the truth. Look, look at this. Here we are sinners. We're guilty. We're lost and condemned. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. God, knowing that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ into the world sinless. And when Jesus went to the cross, when he died on the cross, he died for our Sins. He died for your sins. He died for mine. He paid the price. He took the penalty on himself. He paid the price, leaving us nothing to pay for, and He rose from the dead. And He says, if you will trust in Him as your Savior, that He made that payment for you, He'll give you the gift of eternal life. It's free, no strings attached. He'll let you have it if you'll simply trust in Him. See, folks, all the price has already been paid for your sin. I got a question, an email this week. They said, well, if Jesus has paid for everyone's sins, and these weren't the exact words, but this is what the person was asked. They're a new believer and they're asking all these questions. If Jesus has paid for all sin, does that mean then everybody then can go to heaven? Well, everybody can go to heaven, but not everybody will go to heaven because you have to accept the payment he made for you. See, You have a choice. You either say, No, I will be responsible for my own sins, or I'm going to trust in Jesus that He took care of it for me. When you trust in Christ, He gives you eternal life. Your sins are not taken away from you until you trust in Christ. When you do, the payment He made is put to your account. He gives you eternal life. His righteousness in exchange for your sin. Can you imagine? It's what it is. So here's what. God says today, will you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior that he paid for your sins? The moment you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. He gives you eternal life. He gives you his righteousness. You go to heaven on what he has done. If all your sins are gone, then what would keep you out? Nothing. Will you trust Christ as your savior today? Jesus is coming. He could come back today. You don't want to be left. Not only that, you don't want to end up in hell for all eternity.